Hello, greetings and salutations. Welcome to this weird and wonderful special episode. It's technically the one-year anniversary of this weird and wonderful podcast. Yay! I am your host, Dave, and I don't know if you've just heard him in the background. Introduce yourself, please, sir. My name is Matt, and this is an anniversary. You are now officially one years old. Out a nappy soon. So what is the plan for this big one-year anniversary thing? Sorry, I was just cackling at the thought of nappies. Oh, for God's sake, man. (laughs) Okay. So 2020 has been and gone. Shall we talk about highlights of 2020, as in what we experienced or what we didn't experience? What do you think there? I think what we'll do is not really talk about 2020 because that was a really long year and some of the days felt like a year in and of themselves. Um, (laughs) I think we should chat some movies, some music, some video games um, and just sort of have a casual chit chat. And this is totally not cliche. This has never been done before on the internet. You've never heard anniversaries or retrospective recordings ever. This is a hundred percent original for definite. <laughs> you're not you're not wrong. You are not wrong at all. It's not like every podcast on my feed right now has 2020 retrospective. Not not even once. Okay, so shall I kick off then, or do you want to kick off first? There was one thing I wanted to say before getting into it proper. So we're not sponsored because we've not done enough shilling. Though, for all of our listeners, I'd recommend a website called justwatch.com, which allows you to set your region and then search for movies and TV shows to see what platform they're available on. So for everything we discuss, you can type it into your thing, select your region, be it North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Pacific. You can then type in the name of the thing, see what service is available on, be it Netflix, Prime, Hulu, and all those other weird random things that we don't get in the UK. Peacock. Again, not sponsored. It's totally free. You can do it if you want. Don't do it if you don't want. If you get viruses from it, it's your own fault. You should be running antivirus software unless it's Norton, and you definitely shouldn't be running Norton. <laughs> uh, shall we kick things off then? We'll start with films. What kind of a world we live in where a man dressed up as a bat gets all of my press. This town needs an enema. Film number one I want to talk about that I watched this year is a film called Host. Have you heard about Host? I've heard of Host. I feel that's Korean. Well, you're thinking of the old uh, monster movie Host. That's not the one I'm going to be speaking about today. So the one I'm speaking about right now is directed by Rob Savage. It came out in August of 2020, and it is actually available on UK Shudder. Ah. Basically, this film was filmed during the UK lockdown when jams were a thing. Well, more so than they are now. And from what I can gather, it was a one-sentence pitch between Rob Savage, the director, and one of the producers... That was Zoom Seance. Sorry, did you say that was the name of 
the writer and the director. That's the pitch. That's the pitch. Sorry. It's I misheard that. I heard that is director and the writer. And I went, wait, the director's Rob Savage and the, the writer's called Zoom Seance. <laughs> like, that's some sort of new age hippie, hipster name. No, no. The pitch was well, between the director and the producer was Zoom Seance. So for those of you who have never heard of it before, well, I've spoke about it very, very briefly in one of my Grand Day Out episodes that was earlier in 2020. I didn't really go into deeper end. But for those of you who haven't seen it, essentially it's during the coronavirus lockdown within the UK and this group of friends get bored of their traditional quiz nights. They decide that they want to do something different. So they hold a seance. Okay, I remember you talking about this now. No, Matt remembers. So it's only about under an hour or so, but it's lean, it's mean, it's beautifully constructed, and it's a lot of fun. And it's more fun than what it should have been for a horror film. Considering it is all sh- sort of shot during the uh, pandemic and the lockdown, all done via Zoom and Skype and things like that, It's it's got... It's it's nowhere near as good as it should have been. It's a real kind of showing of indie spirit is really alive in 2020, despite, you know, uh, lockdowns and shutdown of productions and things. It, it just goes to show that nothing can really stop the wheels of horror. So I already have some questions. Yes. So it's using Zoom, or it's filmed in the manner of Zoom, does the film start with people going, can you hear me? No, I can't hear you. Is your video working? No, your video's not working. Do they do that? Yes. <laughs> okay. And then throughout it, where you get horror and suspense elements, does it ha- suffer from like lag and like spinning wheels and frozen images that suddenly play 30 seconds quickly and catch up? Do they use any of that as part of their fence-inducing technique? Because I've oh. done a lot of Zoom calls this year for work purposes be it even when I'm at work, calling people not at work or vice versa when I'm working remotely. And we've had that every so often where someone will look, be sitting motionless like a serial killer. And then all of a sudden you'll see them do like a thousand movements super quick. And there's this <laughs> of like noise as their, as their video feed catches up. So I was just curious whether that was a, something they used in it. Where you suddenly, suddenly get like a fast forward and someone's ended up with like a, a knife hanging out of the back of their head and like, times five motion or something from what i recall uh they do a little bit of that but they use video filters and things as well which is quite cool because there's a certain part in the film without getting too spoilery about it they go there's somebody here in in the apartment with me where they're holding this seance and they decide that they're going to use like the uh the mask filter so they kind of walk around the room and then there's nothing there but suddenly this mask appears out of nowhere as if it's on someone Right. It's, it's really, 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 really creepy. Considering it's all sort of done via Zoom as well, it's the acting, the four main, I think there's like four or five main players in the film, it's absolutely phenomenal. And like I say, it's soaked in atmosphere and dread. I've got to admit, it made me, I did a small wee-wee <laughs> towards the end of the film. Not many films honestly do that to me. It got me in a way... I wasn't expecting because I kind of went into it expecting horror tropes galore and 
it's going to be really stilted and really awkward, but actually it is absolutely terrifying. Okay, that that's quite a recommendation. It's been a while since I've watched a film that's bothered me in a psychological manner. I think the last one for me was Paranormal Activity. I think you and I both saw that at the cinema with a really good crowd where it was a complete silence throughout. So every little thing on screen, all the noises and like the buzzing really got to you. And you go home, you wake up like at four in the morning going, just like sit bolt upright, looking around your bedroom going, yeah, no, everything's fine. That's really got to me. Okay, so that sounds like quite a good uh, recommendation you have there. It was it was absolutely phenomenal. I know it's inevitably going to kickstart a whole thing of films yeah. on Zoom, which for better or for worse, depending what they do with it, I mean, it could go either way. But this, as a starting point, was really really good they did a live watch along with it i want to say sort of around halloween ironically uh they kind of showed the behind the scenes and they've literally got like tablets and laptops with extra microphones sort of taped on with gaffer tape and things like that between all the actors because the actors obviously all filmed their own parts mm. on like a group chat and thing as well it's it was absolute masterclass in filmmaking truly proper indie budget horror Cannot recommend it enough. Goes to show you don't need a multi-million, 20, 50, 100 million budget to make a good uh, movie film. Exactly it. That is exactly it. I did also pick the worst film I saw in 2020. Okay. Um, the Emoji Movie? No, it's not podcast related, funnily enough. I didn't actually cover this on the podcast. This might come up later in the future on an upcoming episode, way, way down the line, once I've recovered from how fucking awful it was. So the worst film of 2020 I saw this year came out in April 2020, came out on Blu-ray, completely skipped theatres and things. It's called The Iron Mask. Have you heard of The Iron Mask? Is that yet another adaption of that famous story of the man in the iron mask no it isn't i tell you what it is though Mm -hmm. it is the biggest piece of false advertising that i fell for hook line and sinker do you know why i fell for this piece of false advertising poster art says arnold schwarzenegger versus jackie chan oh i now know the exact film you're chatting about five minutes of screen time they both had together combined so my, my question is, in that five minutes, how many one-liners does Arnie get out? Not enough. He wears a really fancy wig, though. Uh, I Paint me so a this, mental picture. Yeah, it's a period piece. So it's sort of the 18th, 17th century or something like that. I couldn't honestly tell you. It was just So has he got a ponytail? No. Uh, so a few contexts, and you know, like in the Pirates of the Caribbean films, whenever you see the British, they've got those grey poncy wigs on. Is he wearing something like that? Yes. I'm, I'm sold. Because do you remember, now this is going to test your memory, in The Last Action Hero, when Arnie does Hamlet? Yes. In that dream sequence. How come we never had that for real? Him <laughs> and like a period thing with like grenades and machine guns just completely like Arnieing up a period film. 
I can I can get with that. Down for that. He should still do that. So, so it sounds like it's a shame that it was not him doing that. Did Jackie no. Chan do some Jackie Chan in? A little bit, not not enough for my liking. So are they not main characters? No. So from what I can tell, it's actually a Chinese-Russian co-production. And it's technically a sequel to a film that came out in 2014 in some territories called The Forbidden Kingdom. And all I can pretty much tell you is it's two hours of boring, uninspired CGI stuff. I, I hated it. I've got nothing good to say for it. I hate myself for even bringing it up, but my word, wow. And where did you watch that, just so I can avoid it? I watched it on Blu-ray. I bought that sucker. <laughs> and, it was, and was it outside, outside of the return window? Yes. It was the first time I went outside, aside from work, so this was easily July or so. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to go to Tesco's and see what releases I have missed. And I saw that. And I was like, oh, it's Jackie Chan versus versus Arnold Schwarzenegger. I thought that could be quite good. I even remember looking up a trailer for it. And the whole trailer is based on this five-minute sequence within the film. And the rest of the film has nothing to do with this little five-minute sequence. Should have stayed home. I really should have done so what were your, your your films of 2020, dare I dare I say? So this is interesting because both of your films of 2020 were released in 2020. Okay. So my two films of 2020, and I've got a lot of like close, like near misses, which we can come to in a moment. But I thought I had two films in 2020 that I watched that I went, yes, now we're talking. I'm purely as because I um, couldn't go outside because danger. Yeah, so I spent a lot of time watching films that I'd missed or that are, as in the case of one of these films, it's like one of those classic films where everybody goes, how have you not seen that film? And you go, I was either born too late, I was too young at point of release, or it had such a huge following behind it. I, at the time, went, nah, I'm not buying into that. I'll wait a while and I'll go watch it. So my first selection is a little film called Heat, from 1995, directed by Michael Mann. Good Lord. We, we know Heat. Starring Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, uh, also has Val Kilmer in it. Uh, lots and lots of great casting in this film. And the whole film, two hours, 15 minutes of it, is brilliant. It sounds long, but when you're watching it, you get to the end of it and you're like, how is that finished already? It's just one of those where it just blows your mind and essentially it's a heist film De Niro is a criminal and him and his crews rip off and do all of these really elaborate heists the first heist you see them on they rob a armored uh, van on the streets they literally ram it off the road rob it kill all the people inside uh, transport it because of one mistake where someone says one of the robbers names going oh Jeff we need to do so and so and they're like you just said our name pal and I has to like kill them all so Pacino's, he's playing the police officer who is tracking them down. And normally I don't ever see him in a hero role or a good guy role. I normally see him as the villain. So that was quite interesting in and of itself. And he's completely demented. <laughs> Every scene he's in, you're like going, what is wrong with this guy? And you watch everybody's reactions and you can tell that he was 
way off script, just completely improv because everybody looks so bewildered and crazy. Is it a case of he was given a script, but not necessarily for that film? I don't know. I think he might have added character details that no one else knew about. <laughs> I think he might have said that this guy's like a, ref- a recovering alcoholic or a like a coke addict or something. But nobody knew. They certainly don't reference it. They don't show his character doing anything to it. But my lord, does he act like he's completely out of it. I'm going to send you a couple little snippets just for your amusement of some of these lines. There's like one brilliant scene when he's got, he's pulled Hank Azaria into a room and this is the, the clip I've sent you. And he just essentially needs him to uh, cozy up to a woman that he's seeing who's part of this criminal crew. And I think the script was he just is meant to go in there, chat to her and go, look, we want you to be our rat. And then just get him to agree and then leave. He literally walks into the room, he's throwing this guy around and he's just shouting at him, going, I want you to cozy up to this woman. And he goes, and Hank Azari's like, why? And he goes, because she's got a great ass. And it's just the expression on his face where his eyes are like, size like his whole head and he just completely goes off at it and you need to see Hank Azaria like leaning back in his chair looking like really really worried like I need to get out of this room what is this guy doing what on earth have I signed up for it's completely deranged and it's brilliant there are other scenes where he just like he walks into a scene to like speak to a, a criminal to try and get info off him going like have you heard anything on the streets and he just walks up to him and shouts you better not be wasting my time motherfucker and not be wasting my time. And you're just going, what on earth am I watching? And this guy's the hero. <laughs> so I've got that clip on that you've sent me right now. And it is honestly, it's like he's, he's, I, I, wow. I mean, this is the kind of energy you just don't see. Or do, oh my, wow. You are extradited to Newark on a New Jersey warrant for smuggling cigarettes up from North Carolina three years ago, or you go to work for us. Cut and dried. That is it. Oh, shit. Charlene Chehirlis. Who? 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 Were you a fucking owl? The lady you've been talking dirty to on telephone every day last week. Yeah, all right. You know what? You can't tie me to her. Well, who needs to? Because your ass is on a plane back to New Jersey, Jagoff. Oh, man. I just... Why'd I get mixed up with that bitch? Because she got a great ass. And you got your head all the way up it. Jesus. <laughs> Ferocious, aren't I? <laughs> it, honestly, like, just throughout this film, it's ridiculous. Um, there's another great scene where he has, he basically takes De Niro out for coffee. Like, he knows De Niro's the bad guy, the criminal. He's been ripping off these things, but he doesn't have any evidence. So he pulls him over in his car. He does, like, 100 miles an hour down, like, a highway, overtaking and weaving in and out of traffic, completely deranged to pull De Niro over, who's quite calm and chill. Really odd. And he takes him for a coffee in a diner, and everything they say to each other is completely ad-libbed. And they, you can see how they're one-upping each other, where, like, Pacino will be like, oh, you've never been on oh, this is like the longest job of my career and that. And De Niro going, oh, yes, well, I've been out of prison X amount of time, you know, and I'll never do anything like this. And you just literally like riffing off each other for like five minutes. And all it is is them just both sitting in this diner having coffee. Yeah. Completely like, you're just watching it going, wow. 
And then we get to the action sequences. So this is a massive sequence. It's like 12 minutes long of a bank heist which goes wrong. And this is like two-thirds of the way into the film where De Niro's cased this bank. His crew's gone in with like shotguns and machine guns um, to rob this bank. The alarm's tripped. But what they didn't realise was that um, Pacino's been watching them. So you get, all right, there's one ridiculous shot which shows Pacino jump out of his police car and run like 10 blocks to get to the bank or five blocks, wherever that works in America. You get this like three-minute sequence of him sprinting and pushing people out of the way going, move, move, motherfucker, move, move. Like getting to the bank and that. And you're seeing these guys coming out of the bank with like machine guns and that, getting into this car ready to leave. And it all goes wrong when then um, they start shooting each other take out the car so these guys can't drive off. And there's like a 12-minute sequence of them in the middle of this street. And you know American streets are like huge. These four bank robbers with machine guns firing at this, the police that are now piling in six, seven cars of just machine gun. And the reason I say this, in most action sequences, the way they do audio, you just get audio and it's loud and it's booming. But in this one, Michael Mann had every single machine gun and handgun mic'd. Oh, wow. So when you listen to this on a surround sound system set up, every shot fired is like booming, booming. And you got like De Niro Shan, oh, come on, we can do it, make it, run, run, run. And you got like, like in Pacino shouting whatever nonsense he's like blurting out any time. But every single round fired is deafening and it is brilliant. And they take over like this entire like um, junction on the street trying to get away before they all run off into different directions. It's completely nuts. Wow. And one of the things I have to say about this, without this film, because this film was like, just like blew everybody away. It pretty much went, this is how you do a 90s like bank heist crime film. And so many films have emulated it. Without this film, we wouldn't have had The Dark Knight. If you think back to The Dark Knight in 2008, how many reviewers and critics come out and went, oh, he's just channeling heat. This this opening sequence is so like heat and and they're drawing parallels and references watching heat you're like yeah like so many things i've seen in other films which are now tropey this film just went out and went yeah we're doing it i just don't know how michael man managed to pull pull it off and the interesting thing was this film he actually did a tv pilot of it which failed went on for a few years doing a few other things in that before he then got another chance to like go look i want to make this film and he took this failed tv pitch bunged out this film, I made it sound so easy, bunged out this film, created this film and that, and it just did stupidly well. This film and Rotten Tomatoes sits at 94%. Jesus. 94%. Like, granted, Rotten Tomatoes is a running joke, but even now, with retrospective reviews and stuff like that, this film is still sitting at, like, 94%. Ridiculous. I would say, if you haven't seen it, watch it in the UK, Amazon Prime stream it considering the last film i watched for the podcast that time of recording was sex in the city 2 and that's got oh, a wow. rotten tomatoes of about i think it was 16 or 19 percent i i i want to see a film with 94 percent. it's been a long time since i've seen a good film like that <laughs> watch this it's like i said two hours 15 minutes but when you sit in there and you're watching it you're just like yeah i'm down for this it doesn't feel long, whereas some films that are long feel fucking long. This really doesn't. Um, this really sort of made me go, yep, yeah, why hadn't I watched this years ago? 
okay, 95, I was a bit young, but why aren't I watching tonight 2000 or in the years since? And it's only again this year where we've had a pandemic to like, that I've gone, hmm, I'm going to have to watch something. And I watched this. And I was like, yep, good decision. I highly recommend it. In a similar vein, shout out to Escape from New York. First time I watched it this year. Hell yes. Give me. So good. I, I, so good. Even now, I can't believe you hadn't watched that. <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of things you would have thought I've seen, you know, and vice versa. So what have you got for second choice then? Funny enough, you just said vice versa. My second pick is a film from 2018 called Vice. Okay, yeah. I've heard you talking about this before. I, I may have messaged you after watching it because I was like, yep, you need to watch this. Okay. So Vice is a 2018 film. It's a comedy biopic. Right. Like that statement in itself is getting you going, wait, what? This film follows Dick Cheney. Yep, the American Dick Cheney. Yes. From a young man to the height of his power as the vice president of the United States. And my God, is this brilliant. So you're going, yeah, come on now. You're saying that, but how can it be? Christian Bad is Dick Cheney. He totally does the Christian Bale thing of going, well, if I'm playing a fat guy, I should just get fat. So he did. Doing the complete opposite of what he did with The Machinist because it's yep. people often forget that before he did Batman Begins, he did a film called The Machinist where he essentially, trigger warning, by the way, um, he essentially lost so much weight that he was pretty much anorexic before, again, yep. finishing The Machinist, before going on to go film... Uh, American Psycho was it not no I want to say so that was the thing he did American Psycho and he was pretty buff in that then the next film on I think he did was The Machinist so he had to drop all of that muscle mass and weight for The Machinist and then he went on and did Batman Begins and then had to put on all of the muscle and all of the weight again which is very very stupid and very very dangerous and I cannot I cannot stress this enough please please don't do that because he has come out and he gone since and said my body is ruined yeah because the way he gained his weight back as well from the machinist he just went i just had cheeseburgers and you're like you're a really rich famous actor why did you not hire a nutritionist or a chef or something if you got no impulse control why not do it in a safe controlled very educated and scientific manner he's like cheeseburgers Yeah. So anyway, you've got you've yeah. got Amy Adams playing his wife. Okay. We've got Steve Carell as Donald Rumsfeld. Right. I know you don't know a lot about US politics. So for me, where a lot of this film is sort of 70s and 80s, 90s and the 2000s, they skip over a lot of the earlier stuff and have a few key scenes. And one of the best scenes is where Steve Carell initially meets Dick Cheney. And he's like at this thing where, you know, um, Dick Cheney's just been told off by his wife to stop being like a layabout and that. And he's like, oh, no, I'll enter politics. Uh, Steve Crowell, Donald uh, Rumsfeld, comes onto like this huge stage at like this political thing. Is, yeah, well, I bet all of these old guys told you this is a great program, get you into politics. And he's always, well, I'm here to tell you that's bullshit. <laughs> what this is, is the shit end of the stick and everybody's laughing. And he does this whole speech and that. And afterwards, a couple of guys come up to like uh, Dick Cheney and go, 
So we have to choose political people to um, to intern for. And he's just like, and they're like, well, you know, it depends on your political alignment and that. And like, we kind of want to go this way. Like, what's your preference? And he just went, that guy that was just speaking, what was his name? Because he didn't even know the guy's name. He's like, Donald Rumsfeld. He went, what's he? Do you mean what's he? He's like, well, what party is he? And he went, Republican. And he went, I'm a Republican. <laughs> just blurts it out. The other standout performance, Sam Rockwell. We know George that. W. Bush. Oh, good Lord. Fucking brilliant, honestly. And I do have some clips for you as well, just to hammer home some of these points. Because, again, this is another one you've got to watch. When I watched this, I, it's all one of those when you watch the trailer and you sort of go, oh, it's Christian Bale doing that proper acting thing. And then you see some of the funny moments and you go, oh, so is it a comedy? Is this purely make-believe in that? So this is one of those films where actually real events and have had some comedic twists to it. And it's all very tongue-in-cheek. But every so often it will like flip-flop from um, funny to, to dead serious. So I've sent you one clip where it talks about just how Dick Cheney and how he is in office. And another one about all of these friends chatting at a dinner party. What if we create... Come on, Henry, let's hear Dick out. One of Dick Cheney's special superpowers was the ability to make the most wild and extreme ideas sound measured and professional. What if on a unilateral basis, we all put miniature wigs on our penises and we walked out to the White House lawn and jerked each other off? So, like a puppet show, but much more enjoyable. I do like a good puppet show. Okay, so I need to put that on my watch list then, for sure. So I'd watched this in the summertime before it got completely mental. So I was watching it, quite enjoying it, because I'm like, I like satirical stuff. I like watching How I Got News For You and stuff like that. And where it's American stuff where I don't quite fully understand their politics, but they're all really passionate people. <laughs> they're literally so into what they're saying. I just found it fascinating to watch, especially with his tongue in cheek. They, they had this um, narrator with it. It's just this third party you just see every so often spliced in narrating stuff. And you're sort of going, who is this guy? Who is this guy? And it's not until the end of the film where they tell you who the guy is and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you because it's a complete spoiler, but you sort of watch this going, this is a really good film where it's quite serious, but then quite light hard and it jumps around. Absolutely brilliant watch. So this film actually won an Oscar. And I believe it was for makeup and special effects. See, where it shows um, Christian Pound paying him throughout the years, he ages up, as do all of the cast, hmm. which is quite good. Last thing I want to say about this, at the Golden Globes, it's Christian Bale's thank you speech. Oh, oh, my, I imagine this being, um, yeah, not good. Would you like to know who he thanked? I... Please, I'm on edge. Christian Bale decided to thank Satan for inspiring him to portray Dick Cheney. Oh. You can watch that clip on YouTube at your leisure. Okay, I, I may If that do. doesn't make you see this, I don't know what will. Okay. Uh, yep, so this was a 2018 film and it was brilliant. Can't, can't fault it. Excellent. Would you like to talk about some of your near misses or what almost made your top two? 
Ooh. didn't quite make that last final nosedive at the uh, at the uh, finish line. At time of recording, we're recording this on the 11th of January, just uh, appeared behind the uh, curtains a little bit. So yesterday, I watched a Netflix original called The Old Guard. So I don't know if anybody here knows about The Old Guard. It is a film, I believe it was originally slated to come out in cinemas, but Germs, so Netflix uh, picked it up. It's based off of a graphic novel originally written by Greg Rucker, who actually returns to write the screenplay for the for the adaptation, which I thought was really quite cool, seeing a, uh, a creator come back to see their, their version on, on screen and actually get an input into it. So it stars Charlize Theron. She's surprisingly kicks a great amount of ass in that film. The action sequence in The Old Guard is daggeringly good. So for those, so a very basic easy plot is basically Charlize Theron and these couple of other people are essentially immortals and they can't die. And they go through all of uh, time basically helping others and uh, in wars and things like that. It's, it's really... And suddenly... A new one turns up out of nowhere who hasn't turned up for maybe however many thousands of views and things. At some point, does one of them shout, there can only be one Highlander? Uh, no. no and don't. was he called the Curtain? No. Did he have a dirty great big sword? You say that, but Charlize Theron has like... It's, Did she do backflips through a car park? It looks like a cross between a sword and an axe. So it's kind of a a like sword kind of straight up, but then on the ends of it, there's kind of like axe blades. It's really it's kind of hard to describe until you've actually seen it. It's really quite cool when she swings that about, cutting people and um, cut their heads off. Also, has a surprisingly good turn. The guy that played uh, Dursley in the Harry Potter films as the main bad guy. He's actually really okay. quite surprisingly good. The action sequence, again, like I said, they're, they're really, really cool, extremely well choreographed, very, very stylized. The gore as well, if you can call it gore, blood and violence anyway, is just about right. And as much as I like this film, I really, really did like it. If I'd have seen it at the cinema, I probably would have got a lot more from it because obviously germs, I'm going to be saying that a lot, by the way, but because of germs and and things like that, kind of watching it on Netflix, it kind of detracted from it a little bit. Even though, like I said, it's got all of these pluses going for it. Like I said, it's got the A-list a, a actor in, in the leading role. You've got your main creator coming back from the original source material as well, writing the screenplay, wrote the theme tune, sang the theme tune, that kind of thing. But I say, I just feel like on the small screen, it it kind of loses something. Whereas I talked about um, host, I actually watched that on a tablet, so it really amplified the the really amplified it for me. But kind of watching a film of this caliber, like I say, of the old guard, it really lost something. It lost something in the translation somewhere because I could have really imagined that with full 5.7.1, whatever it is now, they 7.3, 7.1, 
I don't know, proper full surround sound with a large booming bass on a proper large screen as well. I imagine it looking and sounding absolutely fantastic. And obviously there's very, very small uh, character building and character interactions and things. I just feel like they would come across a lot better if it was originally on the big screen, because again, I really think it lost something. Mm. But I, I may do, still watch that. But yeah, the old guard is is really, really surprisingly good for. It's a good two hours fifteen or so, and it and it ends on a uh, obviously it ends on a mid credit scene because of course everything ends with a mid credit scene they, nowadays. They're trying to make universe, weren't they? Yeah, it's more than likely they're going to do yeah. a sequel and spin-offs and things because, of course, Netflix has now got to compete with the big bad Disney in many, many different ways. I'll check that out, I think. I like action films. Any other films? Not, not really. I mean, pretty much everything I've watched this year has been solely for the podcast. Okay. So I had a couple very close ones. So my two close ones, one of them you've talked about on the podcast, yeah. Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes, because I was thinking, what was actually a 2020 release that I actually left the house to watch? And for me, it was Sonic the Hedgehog. I double built that with um, Harley Quinn and the fantabulous magical dream coat that Joseph wore. That film wasn't as good as what I felt it should have been. I think the month before that, I saw something, but I can't remember what it was because last year was like three years long. Sonic did stand out in my memory as going, I quite enjoyed that. Do you Mostly know what? probably because of Jim Carrey. And I'm like, it was good, but it just needed just that little bit more to make my top. Do you know what? Considering the absolute cluster fire, tire fire that it could have been with, I think I've talked about it before, possibly either on the Twitter or on the podcast, considering what could have been with that god-awful, horrific original design, the, the, the swap out last minute, I think, really, really helped that film. Because you imagine mm. watching an hour and a half of that film with that nightmarish werehog for, for all intents and purposes, I don't think it would have been as charming as it as it would have been. Yeah. Even now, I've seen some, I think they're fan, um, fan art promo images of what like Knuckles could look like. I've looked at them, I've gone, yeah, I'd go see it on the big screen, which means actually the film did quite well, but just not, just not quite enough for me to go, yeah, top tier. So then the other film for me this year, which was a new film, The Name You Go, and you won't be able to guess this, The Name You Go, no, but did make me giggle a bit, was a new Borat film. Oh, I still haven't. Which I watched on Amazon Prime, and it's sort of one of those, I won't spoil it because it's still new and it's worth a laugh, especially if you've seen the original because you get even more from it. It was one of those where I watched it and I went, this just come out of nowhere, this is, Again, quite amusing. I like some of these things they've done. I liked how they've gone, this is his daughter character, and introduced her and had some jokes where her herself, again, quite good with the improv and thinking on the spot, and they gel quite well. And the funniest thing I know, and it's not a spoiler, but it will make you laugh when you watch it. I think he's speaking in Hebrew a lot of the time when he's say, speaking in uh, invert commas, his language, Bart's language. But the actress is actually Bulgarian. And all the time she's talking to him and saying stuff, she's speaking Bulgarian to him. So he's talking Hebrew. She's talking Bulgarian. But the way they're going at it, it makes you go, 
they're, they're communicating. They're, that's that's one language, which to me makes me sound really bigoted and a complete idiot. But they perform it with such conviction that you're just totally sold on it. A lot of the stuff you can watch and go, yeah, that's clearly set up and a bit, a bit unnecessary. Some of the clips from it have obviously been quite famous based on Trump's famous uh, lawyer friend hoping to get a blowy and being mm, brutally Rudy disappointed. When Sasha, yeah, and being brutally disappointed when Sasha Barrow Cohen bursts in. That's quite amusing. But then amusing in terms of going, oh, my. But the other, the other, I think the, probably the funniest scene from it, which you would have seen in the trailers, is where Borat bursts into one of Mike Pence's um, promo rallies before the election, and he bur- Borat bursts in dressed up as Trump, carrying a woman over his shoulder, being his daughter, shouting, "I brought the woman for you, Mike Pence! I brought the woman for you, Mike Pence!" That the thing is, you close up on Mike Pence's face, and you, you can just go, "That guy is pissed." <laughs> In it, but, but then also you look at him going, is he now calculating going, shit, did I order a woman? <laughs> oh, <laughs> on, honestly, watch it. It's it's a laugh. It's well, it's well worth it. I think that wraps up movies. And one time at band camp, we weren't supposed to have pillow fights, but we had a pillow fight and it was so much fun. And, and this one time, we all lost our music and we were supposed to play this song, but we didn't know it. So we just made it up, and we kept playing and playing, and the conductor didn't know what we were doing, and it was so funny. And with all of the wonderful sound effects out of the way, because this is not a separate recording, because it's almost like we're doing it professional this time. Yay! We're going to talk about musacs, or music as it is known in a more colloquial term. So, dear Matt, you can kick us off this time. What have you got for us? I brought some music. Now, I listen to a lot of music, but I don't ever listen to a lot of new music. Most music that I listen to is recommended by Dave. This is inter- So this is a funny bit of trivia for everybody. Dave knows what music I like before I even hear it. He'll go to me, <laughs> you'll like this band, you won't like that band. This band has three albums, you'll like two of the three. You won't like the third one because I know what you like. And I've yet to fault you. Okay, some of the stuff you've said is just, you've gone, how about this? And you've gone, and I'm going to say this now. You went, what was it called? You said it was like Nick Cage. Oh, from the Bandcamp Friday. Yeah, it was an Cage Noir. Yeah, and I just went, no, it's just too out there. I'm, I'm not going to go there. That's, that's not music. That's, that's just a running joke. <laughs> that, that's, just a, that's just a no. Um, so the first album I actually want to chat about, I believe was released in 2020, because it's called 2020, from Zombie. Yes, this is where we cross over. I had a feeling we may cross over. Essentially, out of the blue, before lockdown, Dave went, this band, you'll like this band, listen to this. And I went, okay. And I did. And I did like it. And <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I think for me... Is that a lot of the sound was very, I'm going to say, synthy. It had a very sort of retro, chill thing to it. And for me, I was just getting like flashbacks to John Carpenter, even though he wasn't involved in this, as far as I'm aware, unless Dave corrects me. Was John Carpenter involved in this? Oh, that's a shame. Honestly, I listened to this album multiple times. So I have a classic iPod because that's how I do it. That I've modded to run an SD card. Um, Totally recommend doing that if you can. And I'll tend to listen on albums a lot when I'm at work. 
be at home or in the actual office and I'll listen to a lot of albums. So sometimes I want metal because some of my work colleagues are screamers. Blood gets everywhere and they're so loud. They just need to control themselves. Yeah, and I'm not telling any of you what my job is. I'm just going to let your imaginations run wild on that statement. And other times I need quite chill music to focus and concentrate and do stuff. And this is one of those albums I can listen to and end up in a zone. It's almost like meditation music. I need to sort of end out somewhere just doing stuff and when you resurface just somewhere completely different I mean in terms of work I don't mean geographically and this album has that effect on me and I just really like it beyond what I've said I don't really know too much about it so I'm gonna actually hand over to Dave to just blam us with info about this Zombie is one of those really really weird bands that I've always been acutely aware of Based solely on the name alone, Zombie being, of course, for those of you in the know, a reference to the original Italian name for Dawn of the Dead. When it was released over there, it was called Zombie. And it is spelled Z-O-M-B-I. Indeed, it is the uh, Italian spelling. Yeah. When Bandcamp announced their Bandcamp Friday schemes, where I've probably rattled this off enough during the Grand Day Out episode where once a month through the entirety of 2020, Bandcamp would waive their fees for one day a month and all of the profits, anything they would make that day, would go directly to the band. So with Bandcamp Friday there, I thought it was as good a time as any to check out their works. And it just happened to be that Zombie had put out a new album called 2020, which was quite appropriate. So for me, the dystopian feel of the music actually really helped me through 2020, which is absolutely mad. That expression right there really does sum up dystopian. When you look at the box art, for example, clear skies, empty fields, deserted track, couple gravestones or landmarks, screams dystopian. And looking at it, till you said that word, I couldn't quite click. But now you said that, that just reinforces the overall theme more so. So it perfectly soundtracked this absolute shithole of a year, 2020, for me. Even though it was released sort of July 2020, I know you said it was before lockdown. No, it wasn't. It was in July 2020, because 2020 <sighs> seems like a weird year. Yeah, I, it, I sort of break it down to before lockdown. There's a little bit in between. So talking about the UK, we had before lockdown, sort of like the hedgehog days. Then we had long lockdown. Then we had the summer period where we were allowed out for six weeks or so, which was really odd. And then we're straight back into lockdown again. So those periods of time can range anywhere from six weeks to six years. Album, it summarised the, again, I'm sorry I keep saying it and we keep mentioning it, but germs in the UK pretty much from March onwards, like the empty streets, they were almost you know, driving to work during that initial lockdown where it was almost apocalyptic. It was like the beginning of 28 Days Later where there was absolutely no one on the streets. It was barren, nothing on the road, nothing in the, in the city. I mean, listening to that, driving into work was absolutely staggering. It also really helped that I happened to purchase a physical hard copy of this album as well. It's a really nice white with yellow kind of spatters on the vinyl. It's really, really gorgeous. Although it did cost me a bomb to import it because America imports. Listening to the band, you can kind of draw parallels with, again, kind of Goblin, which I've talked about earlier in the year. They had an album out earlier in the year, Goblin, 
absolutely phenomenal prog rock band again from Italy, most primarily known for their soundtrack work with Dario Argento and a lot of the giallo and a lot of the 80s horror and things like that. And it's even, you know, you can tell the Matt said before about John Carpenter, you can really get the John Carpenter feel on this album as well, which is another thing I actually bought this year. But, you know, I've spoke about ad nauseum for John Carpenter. That album is so good. I'm sure Matt will agree with me over there. He's, he's silently uh, nodding his head. I'm, I'm actually nodding. You said that my brain started on the opening theme to Escape from New York in my head. <laughs> bum, bum. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, sorry. Carry on. I was going to say, where where I work in a well-known pharmacy chain, I often have to do a lot of dossier boxes and things out of the back of my own. So I'm pretty much left to my own devices. And one of my most played albums while I'm doing these dossier boxes, as Matt said, it kind of chills me and gets me in the zone so I can concentrate and do them, is 2020 by Zombie. I very nearly included their EP, the Night of the Living Dead EP, which I mentioned in October, but it wasn't, I don't think it's nowhere near as good as the album 2020 is. So you're chilling whilst the zombies are bashing on the door trying to get in. That's and you're just standing there with your sawn off going, shop smart, shop smart. Yes. So 2021, uh, I think from February, we are going to see the return once again of Bandcamp Friday. So I think possibly it's more likely I'm going to go back and get the rest of the back catalogue because there is a fair bit. That's good to hear because when you provided me this album, for all I know, Zombie have been around for like two days, never heard of them, never seen anything from them. But I like my music, but I don't ever know where to get more. I don't venture, I don't dabble, I don't do sp- Spotify because classic iPod and I'm like I know what I like and I like what I like I don't necessarily need to expand that because you're going oh but you're limited by music I'm like I've got a 128 gig iPod because I put a, uh, an SD card in it like 128 gigs of music that lasts quite a while before you hear the same track again it's not like I'm stuck on a loop except with this album and the next album I will be talking about okay hit me What's your next one? Now, this is going to surprise you because like, you think you know what the next album is. See, knowing you, I would say it's Power Up by ACDC because I know how much you love ACDC. And the thing is, it isn't because I haven't listened to it yet. Good Lord, really? Yep. So I got Power Up for Christmas and it's still on my shelf in a shrink wrap where simply I haven't taken out to listen to it being that I was not working from home. I was at the sanitarium <laughs> working throughout the Christmas period and the New Year period. So I'm going there and I'm coming home and I'm just completely um, drained and ruined and just going to bed, sleeping for 10, 12 hours, going back and repeating. It's only over the last two or three days when my colleagues have started coming back to work, screaming a bit more again, where I'm now able to work from home and become a little bit more human. So I'm totally going to listen to it now because... You know, I didn't want to put it on whilst I'm just completely frazzled and not enjoy it. I'm like, no, I'm going to save that till I'm, till I'm ready. I think ACDC is one of those bands where you have to be in the right kind of mindset because it's high energy all the time. Most types of music, you need to be in the right mindset. If you're just completely shattered, arguably you don't want any music on. Mm. You just want, personally, I just want complete silence to then just let my brain seep out of my ear. <laughs> I'm relaxed. 
some other album they listen to. So, you know, I said earlier, I like a chilled out album, but sometimes I like a metal. Yes. This album is actually from 2018. Good Lord. To it quite a lot in 2020. I really like it. Okay. Heard of a band called Judas Priest. I had a feeling you were going to say Judas Priest. Is it Firepower off chance? It is Firepower. I've heard the title track and I absolutely dug the title track for sure. I haven't heard anything past that, which is shocking. It's shocking, I know, but... How have you not heard anything beyond the title track? That's just... So you've not heard Evil Never Dies, Never the Heroes, Necromancer? No. No, I haven't. Lone Wolf, Sea of Red. Again, I don't really get a chance to really listen to anything new. Bandcamp Friday, for me, this year has been a last year, I should say. It's been an absolute revelation to find music that I really, really dig that's off the beaten track. What is this off the beaten track if you've not listened to the album? (laughs) But what can I say to the audience other than it's fucking Judas Priest? Like, come on. (laughs) No, honestly, every track on this is a fun part. The album's about an hour all in, listen to it. At work, you can listen to it two, three times through, and I certainly do. You're just like, yep, this is glorious. I can't hear the screaming now. This is making everything better. There's just not too much more I want to say about it other than get it done, son. (laughs) And I like that album. Because normally with older bands, and I say older in terms of well-established, I'll go, greatest hits for me, done and dusted, and I won't delve into a lot's. Judas Priest is one of those where I did that, but then I have continued delving. Mm. And especially with some of their newer stuff as well, like this. Just, I think when it released, it came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting it. Um, and it just sort of happened. And I went, oh, Judas Priest. I like Judas Priest. You know, living after midnight, breaking the law. No, not breaking and the law. And then this one come Not breaking the law, breaking the lawn. No, shut up. <laughs> And I hear the title thing of this track and I can go, that's definitely Judas Priest, but my Lord is just so much heavier. And this is ticking boxes. Again, you can tell that I don't know too much about music. If we're talking exclusive about ACDC, I could bore you for ages. <laughs> Talk about every album and stuff behind the scenes. Whereas a lot of my music I listen to and go, this, I like this. And I don't go much beyond that. It's interesting that you say that Judas Priest are a band that you that you enabled yourself to basically deep dive on. I had that with Motorhead. So I heard the best of greatest hits of Motorhead, uh, God knows, so many years ago now. And I've very, very slowly, I've very nearly got all of the entire back catalogue of Motorhead now, whether it be on vinyl, whether it be on CD or whatever. But Motorhead's just a band I could probably talk ad nauseum about how much I love them. And how much I've seen them live and stuff, but I mean that's that's discussion for another time. So we should probably talk mm. my next choice. For those of you who know me and follow me on the Socmet and such, are going to know what's coming next because I've basically turned it into a living meme of myself. I'm now a caricature. So I want to talk about Clowncore. Ugh. <laughs> So I want to talk specifically about the album Van, which came out this this year. So that is the very first album I actually heard by them. It is an absolute cacophony of sound I have never heard before. I think it's really inventive considering it's a two-man instrumental group. 
so what you have with Clowncore is essentially two dudes in a band. Uh, you've got one playing drums with a keyboard at the side, playing a bass track. You've then got another dude who's also playing keyboards, but then he's also playing a saxophone with it. And they're playing some really, really complicated things because some of the drum beats on this album are not easy to pull off. When you really look at kind of the music theory and things behind it, he's this guy is playing really complicated stuff. And on top of that, you've got the saxophonist on top of, you know, this really weird, elaborate kind of tracking drum beats and keyboard bass lines and things like that. It's it's kind of mind bending and mind melting. And also the fact that every song sounds completely different to one another on this album, where they could just do one set style of just noise, they kind of branch out. So you've got tracks like the eponymous van and then you which is kind of noise with really jazzy saxophone and things. And then you get something like McRonald's which is just basically in the vein of Napalm Deaths You Suffer. But then on top of that, you get a track, uh, you get the final track, which is called, oh God, it's got such a silly name. Uh, the Indefinite Suffering of the Universe, I think it's called or something like that. And that's such... That does not sound like a silly name. That sounds quite bleak. Juxtaposed with the the, the sound of it, because it's like elevator music it's absolutely ridiculous for you know and i believe citation needed this entire album is actually recorded in the back of a minivan as well it's just absolutely staggering and and i can honestly say when it was released in september september 2020 i wasn't aware of clown it was only through a youtube channel uh i can't remember what it's called it might be called bandcamp oddities or something that actually had it had the whole thing on there that I actually sat there and listened to it. I was like, I like this so much. I'm gonna I'm gonna go support them. But it is really soundtrack the madness of the last few months with within the UK and with everything going on at the moment. And obviously on top of that, I then deep dived on the rest of the back catalogs of the album before Van is called Toilet, which I believe is actually recorded within a portaloo. Uh, Matt shaking it. We're on a video call, by the way. I can see Matt, and he's shaking his head at me right now because I said it's called. Oh, we'll have questions at the end of this, but <laughs> please carry on. <laughs> so, uh, toilet is kind of uh, recorded within the portaloo. There's a lot of videos on YouTube of them playing it and recording it in the portaloo and things, and a lot of that as well is really, really complicated music. But it's under the guise of effectively noisy. Kind of, the first time I heard it. I didn't get it. It's kind of when I heard it again, I was like, I I, und- I kind of get it. It's like you have to be kind of willing to hear and experiment with different sounds. Once you get past the initial, oh, it's two blokes wearing clown masks, they're making stupid music with clown horns and stuff, because now I can't listen to music and think, this needs a clown horn because of course it does. Everything needs a clown horn. Once you get past that, I mean, it's 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 really complicated. There is a lot of sub substance underneath the surface. I I honestly can't. I love this band so much, and that is pretty much summed up my twenty twenty for me. It's just the discovery of clown gore in September twenty twenty 
and my eventual descent into madness with clown horns. So please, I hear I hear you have questions. I will try and well, my first question my first question was why? <laughs> my second question was you said that the band play all these instruments. How many arms do these people have? They have two Are they instruments. recording overlapping traps tracks or no. they're just jumping between stuff. Okay. Yeah. Next question. Uh, you said about horns. Beryl Worse and Bill Bailey playing um, Metallica. Um, well, Bill Bailey plays tunes. Uh, Clowncore goes, ah! and that's it. I can't believe you just made that noise. <laughs> My next question, you mentioned that they're really good saxophonists. Yeah. I almost pronounced that correctly. Saxophonist. Um, Barrel worse than uh, Careless Whisper. Oh, get them. <laughs> <laughs> much, much better. And, and my follow-up question was, do you ever feel embarrassed saying to people, Clowncore, I like it. You should check it out. Because I'd be like head in my hands going, oh, my God, did they have to call it something so daft? They wear clown masks. Of course they had to call it Clowncore. I just get images of, like, um, really bad, like, um, cosplay Slipknot people. <laughs> Cosplaying like Slipknot. I mean, that's that's fair, and yeah, I do sometimes. But I think, do, would they look out of place, or not out of place if they are in a horror film in the background? Uh, they would not look out of place. Are, are they like those scary kind of clowns that there are, that were going around a few years back, just knocking on doors randomly? Oh God, yeah, I forgot about that. That was a thing. Yeah, you that? forgot about that. That was a thing. That yeah. Until uh, they got punched in the face. Their, their masks remind me a little. I know they're probably shop bought masks, but the masks they wear remind me a lot of. Here's an obscure reference for you: the clowns from Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, really? <laughs> I love Clowncore so much because it is so. It's just so different. I've never heard anything like it. The only thing I can compare it to is this extremely little-known band that I found on YouTube. I want to say it was about 10 years ago now. Uh, I'm bracing myself. They, they're called, they, they describe themselves as free jazz death metal, and they're called The Sisterhood. No, not that sisterhood from the <sighs> 80s. They, they have very, very... The sound, it's really hard to kind of explain. I'm so disappointed right now. I'm so disappointed do, right now. Do, do you know what? No, no, I'm not having this. What we're going to do is we're going to do a jump cut and I'm going to put in some free jazz death metal right here. So that was free jazz death metal, and I defy anyone to 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 not like that because I I I like weird, I like avant-garde and stuff like the uh, residents. And if you're like me, you press skip ten seconds. See, that's the difference. And my final question on my final question on the topic. Yeah. Barrel worth an Arnold call. 
Arno Court is a is a weird one. I'm going to say better. Okay, we'll, we'll just let that sit there. <laughs> Another thing I've got to do very quickly is I've got to sh- do a massive shout out to the YouTuber Finn MK because he put a brand new album out at the end of uh, 2020 in December. I can't wait to get stuck into it. I haven't listened to it yet. It's called Jet and the Valkyrie. It looks like it is a concept album about uh, Vikings and stuff. It looks amazing. But I loved his um, Ichua, the Traveller EP, which he released in 2018. And that really soundtracked uh, the the events that went on in my life when that came out. I listened to that so, so much. So I'm really looking forward to getting to that. For those of you who don't know, Finn MK, he's mostly known for his piano dubs and uh, orchestral dubs and things of memes and films and songs from films. He, he does a really good one of uh, the devil makes the devil devil has idle hands, whatever it is from Futurama final episode of season four where Fry plays the yeah. holophoner. So the fact he's putting out his own original music, I'm super excited and super stoked to get into. And these are videos that don't get a lot of views. I think at the moment, at time of recording, maybe each of them's got about maybe 300, 400 views of them where his dubs and meme videos are in the hundreds of thousands, which is absolutely criminal, to be honest, because his original music is absolutely outstanding. Yeah, before we progress any further, something's just struck me. Yes. Sam, don't listen to Paris Hilton on Spotify. <laughs> no. He's <laughs> put that out as a warning. Nobody should listen to this. It was like a public safety alert and you misinterpreted his information. <laughs> no. God, no. You, you listen to what you want, Sam. You ignore him. You listen to what you want, buddy. No. <laughs> my my tastes are very strange and very odd, as you well know now. But what I was... Uh, so, oh, massive shout out to uh, the two things that very nearly made my list, but didn't. So I went back and I brought a band called Sleep, their album called Dope Smoker. Matt's looking at me very confused. He doesn't know what it is. So Dope Smoker is a single track that goes for an hour, six minutes, which is very handily broken up into three or four separate tracks, 20-minute bits. Uh, And it's basically an ode to smoking weed, hence the title Dope Smoker. But it's kind of the proggy riffs and kind of the drone of it as well. It's... I don't know what it is. It's hypnotic, and I I dig it so so much. And that's obviously without having being on any illicit substances or anything like that. I think you're stretching a definition definition of music quite far. <laughs> we started quite strong, and you're gradually going, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. And you just keep going and going and going. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not too worried about people being creative, but sometimes some of the stuff you're saying, I'm going. Are you sure that's music? Are you really, really, really sure? So another shout out I want to do is the fact that we got we got new music from System of a Down. Nobody saw that coming at all, which just absolutely boggles the mind. My inner 15, 16 year old self was just just jumping with glee. <laughs> we would recommend everybody downloading that to help support the cause that the band is uh donating funds to of course yeah i mean of course that goes without saying and i feel 
no no problems as well having done that on the day pretty much on the Bandcamp Friday, the day it came out, where all of the funds, where Bandcamp waived their fees, obviously the band gave to charity. So I am all in for that. So I would say one of the best things to come from 2020 yes. is bands making new music because they've had time to sit down, compose and do stuff because they're not out touring and making shitloads of money. They're back in their home studios, those rich bastards, or those not-so-rich, independent, hard-working individuals to make actual music. Like, out of nowhere, ACDC put out a new album, as we said, which I haven't listened to yet. Damn. But all of last year we're going, are they even still going to function as a band? With Brian Johnson's hearing us and everything, a lot of the band members um, quitting, um, and then sort of almost secretively they come back together and just out of nowhere went, here's a teaser for our new album here's the title track. And you're like, wow. And a lot of other bands are just put stuff out unexpectedly as well because simply there's not too much else for them to be doing except write music for me and you to listen to. Did that rhyme? That was terrible. Don't like that. I mean, But we're leaving it in. I mean, you're not wrong. A lot of, a lot of bands now have got, have got a lot of time on their hands to just create, and I'm, I'm all for it. Although the circumstances could have been better, for sure. I mean, global pandemic. It's making a bit of a bad situation. This is exactly it. So I'm hoping that this year, 2021, we're going to get a lot of great music. Because, I mean, I've seen reports that uh, Metallica are entering the studio again. Megadeth are currently recording and writing. I mean, a lot of heavy bands are writing and, and things as well. But, I mean, even the smaller independent bands as well where they make their living from essentially, you know, merch and, and things like that, not necessarily from the touring. They're going to be putting out lots of things. It's like um, another discovery I made this year. I never really covered it on the Grand Day Out episodes. I, thanks to Bug Snacks, the game that came out on the PS5 and PS4, I discovered the great Kera Kera Benito. And they are a small band that I had never heard of before. And they, they're, Essentially, they make such wonderful pop music. It just blows my mind. And if they get to put out more, because obviously they're not touring or, or performing or whatever, then I'm, I'm all for it. And I will almost certainly buy it. Yeah, because let's face it, they've been locked inside for a huge period of time. Most bands could have wrote three or four albums to keep us happy each. <laughs> per band, four albums minimum. That's my, that's my request. I mean, you're not wrong there. <laughs> That's all I have on music, which was very little. Do you have anything further? I mean, just just the fact that Bandcamp... He does. Watch him go. No, just the fact that Bandcamp Friday was the thing this year is absolutely amazing, where the band gets to keep 100% of the profits. I know it's only one day a month, but if everybody gets together on this one day a month and buy, even if you buy a T-shirt through Bandcamp, because you can buy merch through Bandcamp, you know, much better than buying through Apple Music or Amazon exactly. Music. Services. If you're going to buy it anyway, buy it through that to support the band. Exactly, and I mean, I was never really particularly taken on the whole digital streaming, owning music digitally. But I think this year with the advent, and like I say, of Bandcamps and Fridays and things like that, I've really been kind of. We've always had Fridays. Yeah, but Bandcamp Fridays. I mean, I've really yeah. been taking... It's just the way you said Bandcamp, and then there's a slight pause, and you said Friday, I'm like, 
I'm pretty sure we've always had Fridays. Yeah, you know what I mean. Band camps are an American thing, aren't they? Uh, yeah, there's one time at band camp. <laughs> yeah. But the fact that Bandcamp Friday was a thing this year was amazing. And like I said, I'm really looking forward to it returning within the next month or two because there's there's a lot I want to get my hands on. Hey, listen. Watch out. Hello. Listen. Hey, hey. Welcome back once again. Another jump cut and another weird and wonderful sound effect, maybe. I'm not sure what sound effects I'm putting in yet. But we're on to the last, what I like to call, totem for this episode. Well, of this podcast in general. And that is video games. Yay! So, Matt, kick us off. What what summed up your 2020? I played a lot of video games this year. <laughs> Some of which we've even discussed on the podcast. Yeah, so really, I've got like three or four that are all fighting for the top podium. And I can't quite... Determinant. I think one of them's so obvious I'm not going to say it. So I'm going to go sideways. The first game of the year, and now, funny enough, I think most of these games are 2020 games. So the first one is Jedi Fallen Order from Star Wars, where they have that war occasionally. So I was playing, I got this game for Christmas in 2019, or I got it for my birthday. And this is a game that I got, received, and I started playing, and I really enjoyed. And it's been a long time since I've played a good Star Wars game. You know, we discussed this on the podcast where I quite liked The Force Unleashed. And then there was a whole range of bullshit that happened for the next 10 years that simply didn't interest me, didn't play any of it. I saw stuff where it didn't like it. More recently, there's been that first-person shooting game yeah, bullshit, didn't interest me. Jedi Fallen Order, third-person action game, very similar to Force Unleashed. I'm down for that. Now, the things about this game that I liked, played a lot like Dark Souls. I was about to say, it's the Souls-born games of the Star Wars universe. Yeah, which means it's very easy. It's not difficult, even on a harder difficulty, it's not difficult. If you know how to block and you know how to dodge. And I know those are two things that Dave does not know how to do, having lost my temper at him many times, watching him play many different video games this year and last year and every other year for a very long time. Those two simple mechanics he cannot grasp, so he would really struggle with this. However, me, I can get those mechanics. I'm down with those. So I actually found this game quite simple because it's simple doesn't necessarily always mean it's going to be good. It's had the right mix because it also had a really good story sort of um, set between two of the major films and, you know, a little bit more of what happened after Order 66, flashbacks to an Order 66 happened, just everything about it. I like how you can customise your lightsaber. And I like the mechanic of how you relearn your force abilities and combos, which is done by the logic they use is that with the force, the more you use it, the easier it becomes and the more it flows with you and you bond with it and you're able to do things and learn things and manipulate things. And where Cal Kestis had been in hiding for so long, he'd not been using the Force. So his ability to use the Force had weakened. So effectively, your tutorials in going through this game is having him learning to reuse the Force by using the Force. And that actually works really well for a 
oh, my character doesn't know how to do all the cool stuff he did in the intro. Makes perfect sense in this case, and it actually works really well story-wise. Has a lot of great characters in this. I won't spoil it too much because I can't remember any of the names because they've got really obtuse Star Wars names. And I also know that Dave's not really into Star Wars laws too much. Uh, case in hand, probably where we discussed the Mandalorian. I really enjoyed it. I like the mechanics. I like cutting things with lightsabers and making them noises. Not to mention force powers of force pushing and stuff like that. A lot of positive things to say. And because I picked this game up slightly later than because it was a gift, I got it slightly later than release. I meant I had all the patches to download, so I didn't get the day one issues that a lot of people were complaining about initially of game breaking stuff. I didn't get any of that because I waited a while and then when I played it, run flawlessly for me and I was and I'm running it on a base PS4 and it's perfect visually looks great combat looks great the atmosphere and the music really good soundtrack to it you say it runs perfect but I distinctly remember trying it that some of the textures weren't loading properly has that now been patched I want to say either possibly or it happens in all of the games I play that I don't when I say run perfectly I mean you're not falling through the floor and ending up in the sky I'm used to oh, yeah. textures taking a little bit longer to pop in because that happens in most games on my base PS4 uh, you mean uh, Fallout 76 not that bad <laughs> that's fair or, or you mean as an example of badness yeah if as an example of badness yeah no not like that in terms of taking a while for textures to pop in. I'm so used to that. That's that's always been a thing in sort of three-dimensional video games as far as I can recall as they get more advanced. And I don't mind waiting one or two seconds for stuff to pop in. It's fine. Maybe if I was running a PS4 Pro, that wouldn't be an issue. But for me, waiting one or two seconds for a texture to pop in, that's not worth me going out to buy another 400 quid console at the time. I mean, no, that's that's fair. It'd be so easy to cast criticism at Jedi Fallen Order, but I think it's all rather unnecessary. It's a perfectly serviceable game. It's very enjoyable. Enjoy the combat. I like how the combat system works. It's a solid game. I can't fuck too much. Not every game has to be a 10 out of 10 for me to enjoy it. First pick. Ironically, I didn't really play too many new video games this year. Okay. Even though we're forced to stay indoors. Uh, so I did tell you what I did finally get around to playing. It's been a couple of years. But I finally got around to playing RE4. Can't believe you never played that before. But I played um, it on the Wii. Because reasons. Supposedly one of the best ways to play it nowadays. Apparently so. I feel like it's definitely the most different version to play. I would personally say it's complete bullshit is the way to play it. The controls feel intuitive, even though they are a bit clunky, because, again, we are speaking about a 10-year-old game now, 10 years plus. I mean, it's not bad. I can see why it's beloved in the franchise, though, and you can really tell there's a tonal shift within this uh, game, within the series, because previously before it, you had Code Veronica. It was the traditional style, fixed camera angle, third person. Yeah, and then obviously you had Survivor Yeah, you had Resident Evil Survivor come out at the same time as well. So there was a real kind of uh, shift within the series at this point. It's not. It's not to say that the game hasn't aged badly either, 
because it really hasn't, especially on the Wii, because, I mean, the graphics on the Wii were never particularly fantastic anyway. They were sort of GameCube 1.5, effectively, style graphics. Really glad I played it, to be honest, and played it through to completion, even if, you know, a lot of the cut, uh, quick motion scenes were whack of your arms really, really fast. <laughs> because we yeah. have motion controls. Mm. So yeah, again, this really is the first it. introduction of quick time events as well for the series. Yeah, indeed. Yes. Uh, it still has traditional horror elements as opposed to RE5, which if you've watched our streams, know it's gone completely out the window by that point before they reintroduced yeah. it again within RE7. Biohazard. I would be tempted to say controversial opinion. Resident Evil 4 begins the descent of the series into becoming rather generic and disappointing. Yes, Resident Evil 4 is a good game, but it introduced a lot of mechanics and things that Capcom then focused on rather than the core of what made the game good. They go action stuff more. They go cinematic stuff more. They go convoluted stories more rather than focusing on what we wanted, which was tank controls and inventory management and suspense and fear of not knowing what's around every corner, whereas RE4 is very much a case of going, I've got a huge inventory I can make bigger repeatedly. I can carry all sorts of gun. I've got a laser sight. Enemies are not an issue for me at all. I think one of the other big criticisms for me is that it's a bit dull in terms of the colour tone. Like, you go back to the original games, I'd say they're bright and vibrant, even though they're dark, brooding games. You know, in the mansion, you've got bright, strong colours, but they don't look dull. Same with RE2 and RE3. But you get to RE4, and yes, it looks very good, but it's all quite dull and greys and quite miserable, which could have been a thematic choice, but it feels really out of place. Because then you go to RE5, and again, everything's bright. RE6, everything's really bright. But I don't mean bright as in brighter lit. I mean bright as in terms of the colour choice and the palette choice. Yeah, I've got to say, though, if you've never experienced it in its form, RE4, this is, if you've never experienced it, I would recommend the Wii version because it's different. And different is good, as opposed to the HD remasters. As good as those HD remasters are, don't get me wrong. I feel like with the Wii, you get the best of both worlds, to quote Hannah Montana. Because you're a little bit more engaged. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Yeah, because I there was only really one thing I didn't like, is that that game is fucking long. It's long. Every time I thought it was going to end, it didn't. And it just kept going, and it kept going. And it kept going, and I was, it was a real slog to get to the end, to be honest, because there's a good two, three bits in it. I thought I could probably end here, but it didn't, and it just yeah. kept going. Yeah, it really does. Got, that, that's one of those games I look at and I play, and I go, how does someone speed run this? Even like all the best guns and like infinite ammo and all that stuff you unlock, how can you speed run this? With great difficulty. Yeah, I think is the conclusion to that. What's next for you? Yeah, again, this is a tough one. I'm split between three games. Okay, hit me with each one. So The Last of Us Part 2. Yes. It'd be very cliche to say that, but brilliant in every way. And I think we've discussed this in the podcast before. 
that game is phenomenal. It is such yep. a good game, although it does have several flaws that I have personal issues with, per se. But I think as an overall, uh, I mean, as the overall narrative, I love that game. It's heavy going. Yep. You've got to be really wary of knowing what you're doing before you go in. Yep. But I have a lot of time for that game, even if it is too long and yeah. has about 12 different endings like Lord of the Rings does. It doesn't have that many different endings in terms of it has one ending. I beat the game twice back to back just to make sure there's a lot happening with it. And you look at the story and you go, I'm meant to be supporting this character, but I prefer the other character. Who would have thought it? Team Abby. <laughs> Spoilers. But yes, Naughty Dog did good in making you feel... Uh, confused. Confused, yes, and different elements and things. Yes. They, they're yep. very good at that. For sure. Yep. My next one, um, again, is actually the Resident Evil 3 remake. I had a feeling it would turn up. Again, I can't visually can't fault it. Music-wise, can't fault it. I can fault it on that it cut a lot of stuff from the original Resident Evil 3 game that I really liked. I didn't like how they removed some of the cinematic choices where it's quite streamlined. A lot of people complained that the game wasn't like Resident Evil 2 in terms of Resident Evil 2 was very puzzle-based, whereas this was an action-driven game. But if you go back to the original Resident Evil 3, that was more of an action-driven game, whereas this one just doubled down on making it cinematic. I like that they needed to be longer. If they're going to make, make it cinematic, they should have added in a few extra chapters with Nemesis before he starts mutating and escalating. I needed more events with him before that because in the original Resident Evil 3, he doesn't start mutating for quite a while and you control him quite a lot and you go around the whole town into areas that aren't in this remake and he will either randomly appear or not. I absolutely love the original Resident Evil 3 and again, I'm still... You know, tweet at Dave. I'm trying to get him to stream all the Resident Evil games with me, and he's somewhat reluctant. Like, tweet him, convince him that this needs to happen. <laughs> so this like remake does lots of things well, and I think I um I let you sort of remote play it, like the intro where you're in the apartment in like the south, and everything's brilliant, and then boom, all of a sudden, walls knocked down, and Nemesis is right there, and you're like, wait, what? Already? And he just demolishes his this apartment block right instantly and I'm like yeah I like so much about it but the flaws are quite big flaws for me but then I did beat that game three times through back to back just to make sure so it can't have been that bad I think my main problem with it was that it wasn't as good as RE2 remake in terms of the style or the length in terms of everything so this is the thing, if it's the style, the vision, the original Resident Evil 3 is more of an action game than a puzzle-solving, slower-paced game. So it makes sense for them to adapt in that manner. However, if they're going to do it in that manner, it should have been larger. There should have been more open-endedness to it. So every replay is slightly different, whereas they made it quite linear. So on my replays, I knew exactly where Nemesis was going to pop, so I could shoot or do whatever I needed to do as soon as he popped, and it was no issue, even on the harder difficulties. I'm like, 
in the original version, in the harder difficulties, he's more random. And even to this day, I don't know what triggers him. And I've beat that game 20, 30 times. Sometimes he'll trigger, other times he won't. It, just at random, sometimes it'll play the Nemesis music and he doesn't appear at all just to troll you. In this remake, even on the harder difficulties, he appears in the same place every time. I know where he's going to be. And I'm like, that's disappointing. Everything that they did 12 Mr. X scenario 2, they missed that with Nemesis. And I was really like, this should be brilliant. But they just dropped the ball a bit. And also, didn't get a Mercenaries mini game. They should have remade that. The, yeah, especially after the fun of um, the fourth yeah. survivor and Tofu. Yeah, they, they 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 missed out on that. They should have gone. I know we only put out RE2 remake last year. Let's give it two or three years and then put this out and put more dev time into it rather than rushing it out. They should have taken their time. So that was my my other one, and then my final one in contention: Miles Morales Spider Man. Hmm. No, I haven't played that one. So I got that over the Christmas period. And I've almost beat it twice now, just to make sure. I'm noticing the theme. By the way, Platinum is in all these games. Marvel's Morales, when I finish my second playthrough, that gives me my Platinum. I really like this game. Visually, it's brilliant. So in comparison to RE3 and Last of Us 2, playing this game doesn't make my PS4 scream in pain. <laughs> so it's better optimised. Music-wise, it's great. Art style, it's great. Story-wise, it's great. Villains and um, control stuff is great. It just builds upon everything we've already seen. One of my criticisms, and why I can't quite decide whether or not to up it, is the length of it. It's a little bit short. And the thing is, because when I say that, I would say this is the length of one of the DLCs for Spider-Man main game. There's three DLCs for that, and I'd say this is about the run length. I think it's eight to ten hours, so it's about the length of one of those. So I'm like, I can see what you're doing, but this should have just been a fourth DLC for that. Or you should have waited and expanded this. Or conversely, maybe I'll get three or four DLCs for this. All of Miles' mini stories, maybe. I either would have waited and made this game bigger, or I would have had it as a DLC. Which again is why all these three really like them. Can't fault them on many things, but the few things I can fault them on puts them on level pegging for me. And I can't quite decide between them because I've given them all multiple replays. And other than Spider Man, they've all had time to digest. And I'm kind of like, I can't quite, just can't quite. Yeah. Yeah. And then I did have a few honourable mentions, but from those three, what would you say should be preference? Because I'm assuming well, yours aren't those. No, they're not, funny enough. I would probably go just based off of what I played and enjoyed the most. I would probably would have gone The Last of Us 2, but that's purely because I had such a connection with that game yeah. playing it. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, I balled my eyes out. There's certain points in that story without spoilers where I, I rolled a tear or two. <laughs> yeah, whereas I'm dead inside and I didn't get that, but I really enjoyed everything about it. Whereas RE3, I was getting a lot of nostalgia vibes from it and I could tell it was a good game. And again, same thing with Spider-Man. I'm like, 
I love everything to do with Spider-Man in the universe, and I love what you're doing with these characters to make them a bit different in terms of the villain and, and stuff associated with it. And no spoilers at all. I'm like, I like what you've done there. That's good. They all have things that pull me in, but they all have things that are pushing me away. So it's very hard to very hard mm. to decide. So what was your your choice of So my other one, aside from The Last of Us Part Two, which I think we've pretty much covered, it's probably quite predictable, but it's Crash Bandicoot 4. It's about time. If you excuse the pun, it's an interesting spin after the Insane remakes. Did you just hear the tumbleweed go past? Yes, I did. It's as it's as infuriating as I remember Crash Bandicoot to be. <laughs> yeah, this game is hard. It is hard. It has no right to be this hard, and it is just as infuriating as I remember it to be when I was much younger as well. But the new mass mechanics they've got in the game, without spoiling them too much, adds a variety to the gameplay. Even if a certain one just feels like padding. Although it is a bit weird because the other characters, aside from Crash, because you play as multiple characters, you can play as uh, Torna from Ultimate Dimension, you can play as Dingadal, you can play as Cortex. I don't know why they handle better than Crash. Having played Crash 1, Crash 3, CTR, Crash Bash, and then nothing until the remastered trilogy, I understand from all of that sort of no man's land in between you could play as other characters in those. Do you reckon they've done that this time around to try and pull the best elements from those games rather than going, you can only play as Bandicoots? I mean, it is possible. But my thing is, is why do they handle and play better than Crash himself? Because Crash is a simple bitch. But I found myself having more fun playing as... Torna and Dingadal than I did as Crash and in a game called Crash Bandicoot, that's a worry. I did like the fact that the islands are back as opposed to the hub world. That was a nice little throwback to the very original game, which I've talked about ad nauseum on a previous podcast episode. So I I really, really like that. I'm not actually that far into the game. I'm maybe I'm probably not even halfway yet. How many hours have you put into it? I've put in a good six hours or so, seven hours. But I, it's it's going to last me, for sure. And it's going to be one of those games where I probably don't go back and get 100% or 106% because that game is hard. It's more difficult. You thought the Insane Trilogy was difficult. Crash 4 has got nothing on those. Honestly, it's my word. Platformers are always one of those things where I like them but I'm no good at them. And as time passes, I get worse at them. So I've been playing it a couple of evenings for an hour, two hours, max at most. And I've made steady progress each time, but I, I hit like a limit of about two hours and ugh, it just goes to pot, especially with the new master mechanics where you get one that slows down time. There is one that, like I say, it's a spinning one, which just seems like padding. And there's obviously one where you can kind of phase objects in and out of existence and things like that. It's it's a bit more of a challenge to it this time around, as opposed to just do a jump, make that jump, time your jump just right to bounce off another enemy to then go onto another platform. That is a lot more involved. Who developed this title? Toys for Bob. 
did they do the remaster? No, that was Vicarious Visions. I mean, I love the cartoony look of this game as well. It's absolutely phenomenal. It it's starkly different from the Insane trilogy, and the music as well is on a level of its own. Especially given the fact that it, this is a if you haven't guessed from the title, you're time traveling, and there's a, there's also for the first time ever, as far as I can tell, a proper narrative, not including uh, Crash of the Titans and things. But we don't speak about those. I'm interested to see where it goes. Do you have any honourable mentions? Well, one, and that is a free game that came out on the PS4 in the summer called Genshin Impact, which for a free action RPG game based on a gachapon system in which you buy basically loot boxes but under the guise of pure luck and random, it's really fun. Surprisingly, I love the aesthetic of it. The kind of um, anime girls. I mean, obviously, yeah, there's a lot of anime girls in it, but that shouldn't be the deciding that factor into playing it. But it's it's a lot of fun. There's a solid story there as well. For a free game, it has no right to be as good as it is. It's interesting because when you said a free game this year, my brain suddenly went, "Was it full guys?" Because we played quite a bit of that on online. That's true. Because it's stupid. And it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I have seen course. some gameplay of Genshin Impact. I think I may even watch you stream that for a bit. Yeah, it looks enjoyable, but it's not not sort of my thing because RPGs they're just they're just too much for me. As you can tell, if I like to beat story-driven games two or three times, I'd want to do that with an RPG, which would be years. I have an honourable mention. It's a game we played this year, and I really enjoyed. We need to go back to a media sank we could stream. Are you going to say Star Fox Adventures? Yes, I am. <laughs> I've been wanting to play that game for so long because I've seen a Let's Play of it and I'm like, I didn't know this existed. This looks ridiculous. I'm down for that. Star Fox Adventures was a GameCube game, I believe. Was it a GameCube game? Was it originally started life on the N64 before it got moved to the GameCube? Yeah. <laughs> So you're going to go Star Fox, like Lilac Wars uh, for European areas, or Star Fox 64 for more international areas, and be like, spaceships, shooting stuff. I'm like, yeah, Star Fox Adventures, not heard of that. That's because that game was originally Dinosaur Planet, starring a completely different character in like a third-person combat game. Characters like a staff does like a lot of melee combat against dinosaurs. She was like a purple blue fox, and um, the heads of Nintendo looked at her and went, Fox, Fox, we've got a fox already. Put Star Fox in this, make this a Star Fox game. And what these, these, these poor buggers had to do was take their Dinosaur Planet game that was partially developed and just like slam some Star Fox into it. In between levels, you'll like end up in space on like a a fixed track shooting stuff to get to the next part of the planet that's split apart to then as Fox not shoot anything or fly anything to run around with a stick and a stupid pet dinosaur called Tricky. Just the whole game is so ridiculous and it's stupidly fun and I think that's something we may have to stream because just the whole thing is just complete nonsense and brilliant and no one's really heard of it. A good Zelda clone, I think is what I said. 
the whole thing of the, uh, the game is that the general, General Pepper here, has sent you to this planet to help restore peace. And you're like, okay, so you've sent in this elite star team who are essentially mercenaries. You've landed on the planet, so I problem they're gone. Yeah, no guns. You've hired a team of mercenaries with all this advanced space tech. And then you're telling me I can't use my guns to sort this problem out. What? It <laughs> <laughs> just beggars belief. Because all you then do is get staff and start melee combing everything. I'm like, if he's going to solve the problem by just punching and kicking in the face, why can't you just shoot it in the face? It's it's ridiculous, and I love it. <laughs> because all of the dinosaurs are really big, dumb things. So none of them are like um, Jurassic Park dinosaurs. They're all like um, Land Before Time dinosaurs, but they're all lumber around really slow, really dumb, and just talking really like casual. Oh no, woe is me! I've got no thumbs. I don't. I can't open any doors or scratch my ass. And they just wander around, going, "Help me! Help me, fox! Help me!" Like there's one, there's one like little thing you have to do for them, which is turn on all the torches, which involves with your staff shooting these five podiums to make flames come out. Because they're like, "Well, we ain't got hands, we can't make fire." And I'm just looking at them, going, "The fuck is wrong with you?" This is brilliant. not to mention the best bit, the merchant. <laughs> this one's got this terrible English accent and he's like um... no that's too low no that's too low yeah I don't need business from cheapskates get out put that down you don't have enough scabs <laughs> and he have to bid on items in his shop and he would just say that repeatedly and it's ridiculous every time and then every time you pick up an item or buy something fox picks it up in the style of link from the zelda games and holds it above his head and he get that the music going da 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 and he's got this dumb look of like dog shit on his face every time and you'll pick up a bomb and he'll do it or you'll pick up a rupee or the currency and he'll do it and then the next time he'll do it exactly the same again. And you're like, what is wrong with him? And there's even like when you do the flying segments, your little pet dinosaur buddy will just get into the ship with you, but you won't get into like the cockpit. You'll get into like the cargo bay of your little like fighter jet. And you're like, is that airtight? Can he breathe in space? It's like, it's ridiculous. It, it is so ridiculous. It's fun. So that's an honorable mention purely because of the giggle factor. Oh, that just kept going, huh? Apologies for the very poor recording quality of this section. I am recording this at about half past one in the morning and I really don't want to wake my family up. But I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this, essentially part one of two lookbacks at the year 2020. So next week is the conclusion we're going to get into our look backs at the year, podcast wise that is, and we're also going to be taking some of our lovely listeners' questions, so yay, looking forward to that. Do you like what you hear? Why don't you give us a follow over on Twitter as at anyone podcast, we're on Facebook as well, just search for us, you will find us. Longer rants, considerations and such can be sent via email to anyone for seconds at gmail.com. Unfortunately, I'm not going to do the whole 
grow thing this week because again like i said i'm recording this like half past one in the morning and that's going to wake everybody up so don't forget to leave us a like rating review on your podcast platform of choice as previously mentioned on every episode up to this point it helps us grow the podcast and get into more ears so i think this time what we'll do is i've been kind of teasing it for the last i don't know how long i think we'll leave you with a clown call track I'm so sorry. Thanks again. Stay safe. You got this.